0: Welcome to Flat Pod! Woohoo!
1: Woo! It's our podcast! It
0: is! We've cast a pod.
1: <laughs> and uh, this week we are chatting with Nicole Russo. Uh,
0: Nicole and I have something uh, in common. Oh, yes. Uh, very, very big thing in common. Um, so when I was in high school, uh, like math hated Let me take that back. When I was in high school, math and I were the best of friends in grade 10 and grade 11. We were such good friends that in grade 11, I did grade 11 advanced math and grade 12 advanced math, which meant that when I got to grade 12, I was doing uh, university math, like 1090, not math 1000, but 1090. Um, And in grade 12, I was like a straight-A student for the long, like, for my entire academic career up until grade 12. Grade 12, that math class just, it totally, brutally hit me hard. Like, I think I came out of the class with a 50 or a 60. I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do, uh, you know, post high school. I had forgotten to apply to Mon, like everyone did. uh, <laughs> so uh, I, did, uh, I did the college transfer year at the College of the North Atlantic and uh, when I was there uh, I did Math 1000 and Math 1001 and it was so so difficult, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do up to that point in my life and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do what was i going to do in university and it was it was between architecture and theater i looked at the two of them and i went well math hates me so theater it is and that's how i made the final decision to apply to theater school was because i sucked at math now fast forward All of these years later, I'm really, really good at math now.
1: (laughs) It's funny how many people's math scores have to do with their future. Let's see how it impacted Nicole. Arts community leader, Nicole Russo, is a queen. She is an actor, director, advocate, and the artistic animator of RCAT. She is a recipient of the Rhonda Payne Theater Award and has contributed to more theater companies and projects than I can list. Nicole approaches her practice with serene openness. She also makes a mean margarita if you're lucky enough to be in one of her casts. Welcome, Nicole. I'm so glad that you put the margarita thing
2: in there.
1: Oh, they're memorable.
2: I'm so glad that you think so, and I'm between blenders right now. I have actually busted Ah. a blender from- uh, From my margaritas. So I guess you can guess if you haven't had one Mark, have you ever had one of my margaritas?
0: I've never had one. I was gonna ask what makes them so special.
2: Uh, it's triple sec actually. I don't mind giving away the secret ingredient because it's like a it's like a flavorless booze that kind of, you know, deepens the impact of the experience. <laughs> I'm gonna and I'm
0: just gonna buy triple sec now and just like have it there and take a shot.
2: Yeah. Every and now and then. And they're always offered in the spirit of like gratitude and celebration and love as well. So I would like to think that in those times, like a couple of times in particular with Shakespeare by the Sea, when I've made these margaritas as a gift to um, to the cast that I've worked with, with that company, uh, you know, that that very much is like, I know it probably seems silly, but a way that like I honor their commitment to... Uh, this production that we have all just worked on and you know which speaking of which the commitment that that performers bring and that creative teams bring to Shakespeare by the Sea always blows my mind
1: Yeah, they no, and they're, so you know those drinks are always received with uh, the most love and very much <laughs> look forward to I have to say amazing I'm <laughs> so yeah.
2: glad you put that in there
1: <laughs> so uh, Nicole can you give us a little bit of your origin story
2: Okay, uh, I'm going to give you my origin story, but I'm going to warn you, it's not that auspicious. (laughs) Uh, As a teenager, I was somewhat wayward, somewhat rebellious. I had come from a kind of uh, tradition that had groomed me toward the idea that I was going to be involved in music. I was involved in choirs and was a student at Holy Heart and, uh, you know, all signs to a certain point in my teenage life pointed towards me being an opera singer. That was where I had originally, uh, imagined that I would, uh, end up. Uh, but then, you know, the rebellion hit me pretty hard and, uh, I will say now you know uh, I hope my I hope my uh, my daughter doesn't hear this I'm sure she won't unless I play it for her <laughs> she can hear it later on down the road um, school was definitely not on uh, my list of priorities as a high school student I was uh, I was especially by the time I got into like grade 11 grade 12 I was always a pretty independent soul and so you know if it wasn't for finding the theater arts department I think I would have drifted all together to the point where in my final year of uh, high school, you know, I was really drifting from the the choir and the singing experience though I loved it. It just didn't, it didn't hold my heart. You know, I got, I got pulled more towards like Kevin Lewis, my first great mentor uh, bringing me to that great big Holy heart stage where I had a lot of success um, and helped me as a not necessarily very confident teenager, which I think, you know, led to the the whole rebellion thing, uh, gave me confidence, gave me purpose, as much purpose as as a teen like me would have. (laughs) But uh, anyway, the year I graduated from high school, there was a big strike. And so public exams were canceled. I was the, you know, I was in that year where everybody was allowed into MUN, but I made, of course, the anti-decision being... Uh, the time that it was in the '90s, I wasn't going to university, so I didn't write the exams. Um, but I did, you know, do that thing. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this. You know, the, the the joke where everybody says they go in and write the scholarship exam, and you write it in like pencil lead or crayon or something like that. That's how much you care about it or whatever. But anyways, I went in and I wrote it in pencil, <laughs> and I got a scholarship, a memorial entrance scholarship. So I didn't use it right away, but. Uh, I just, you know, I I held on to it. I even managed to write the letter and asked to have it deferred. And so I was looking around at, you know, what I was going to do with my life. And I discovered that the one degree that you could do that didn't require a math course (laughs) at the thousand level (laughs) was a Bachelor of Fine Arts. And so I will say that not having to do a math course, wasn't a great math student, um, though I do lots of accounting now, (laughs) uh, led to uh, my decision. It was one foot in the door for my Bachelor of Fine Arts, but certainly, you know, the mentorship and guidance and the love that I have found for the stage was the other foot. (laughs) But I think that's a fairly not well-known fact about me, about what ultimately led me there. And so, you know, I, I went through the four years in uh, at Grenfell. I had a really, I had a pretty amazing group of people that are still, that were in my class that are making quite an impact in the, in the professional world. And we're all still great friends. Uh, and it was like I fell out of the wrong crowd and I fell into the right crowd. And I remember the night that I kind of went, okay, this is, this is your crossroads, you can, you know, why don't you join this crowd and, you know, see what happens on this road, and so we walked down that marvelous road that we're, you know, that we're all still on, and so that is what kind of led me, I went through that four years, and, uh, you know, and then I guess another important point of my origin story is how I ended up off the stage <laughs> and in the uh, the world of uh, administration, so I can't tell you too much about it because that's actually kind of about my flop. so uh, I'll skip that part, but I just want to say that I ended up uh, working for Andy Jones, and uh, Andy Jones is the person who taught me Excel. He knows a lot of things, but he knows Excel really well too. <laughs> So I did, uh, I did some administration work and some tour management with him. And, uh, that, when that we had like, you know, one of those salary grants that you always get. And 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 when those grants, uh, went, ran out, I was going for an interview with another organization. Uh, and Amy called Amy house. She called from the hall and she said, uh, know we want you to come down for an interview i said well i you know i'm on my way to an interview for another job she's like well come down before and i said to her famously but i'm in my jammies (laughs) and she said that don't matter come down and so i came down and i met you know the then executive and amy at the time we had this really great conversation and i did go on and do Um, the other interview I was offered both positions and I chose I was hired uh, for six weeks in 2008 as operations manager at the hall to help close it down pre-renovations and I have been there in uh, from operations manager to artistic associate to animateur ever since
0: it's so (laughs) it's like it's lovely to hear you tell that story uh Especially, like, the the origin of, like, thinking that music was going to be your thing. (laughs) It's, uh, while you were telling the story, I got this quick flash of the Magnetic North, like, 2005 brochure with Nightingale in there. And I remember at the time going, oh, Nicole is in that, but that's, like, a show about singing. I didn't know she could sing. But apparently, that is where it all started.
2: Yeah, me and, uh, me and, uh, and, uh, Georgina Sterling. There was a certain, like, synergy to our, our stories, at least in mine as I knew it and, 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 and Robert, as Robert interpreted it for that play, uh, that, you know, I was very glad to be offered that role, for sure, for that very reason. Now, if you'd seen the show. I mean, it was a long, long time ago now. 2000, and I think it was 2006 actually still. That's like, that's 14 years ago. I, you know, myself and, um,
1: Jane Liable played,
2: yeah, two uh, parts of the same character. So of course, Jane, if you've ever heard her sing, can actually, I think she can actually break glass. I think that's actually the story better that she's a, you know, she can actually sing at that frequency. Her voice is like one of the most moving things I have ever heard. And so she did, of course, all of the singing really in that role. But, uh, you know, my spirit was joined with it, for sure.
1: Do you think that connection uh, to music has any influence on um, your practice or how you um, might conceive of uh, soundscape in your production or even the rhythm and meter of uh, text?
2: I think it definitely travels out in my, uh, I think, as a director, I have an unusually vested interest in sound design, and even when you think about like outdoor productions, like *Troilus* and, and *Cressida*, which, which featured like a whole bunch of robotica, um, uh, and then it coming on to like *Men of Misfortune* with all that classic rock, you know, and and uh, and Pink Floyd. For me, and I guess that's why I was drawn to it in the first place. Music is such an evocative medium, and still expresses things in you know i guess in a poetic way right in a succinct way so as it as again as that angsty teen i keep coming back to that angsty teen. you know uh, when i felt the most was when i felt like the singers were singing my life you know it's like oh that's about me you know and so now i do find in the directorial approaches when i hear a song i'm like oh that's about you know that's about toilets or Oh God, that's about Henry or Lester, you know, and and it's like it it provides a layer of kind of like investigative support for me. So yes. <laughs> Will you tell us about your flop? Yes, I I wanted I thought long and hard about this since you've asked me. So I spent all this like this whole week like thinking about my failures. I'm like, what's the best failure to put forward? (laughs) Because there have been so many, you know, like normal. But um I thought I wanted to tell you because it's like I think it's the one that kind of got me here uh, about the time I didn't get the job. And the magnitude of this time kind of the first time I didn't get the job and you know I had graduated from university at that point and and I was on the same trajectory as many people who went to Grenfell around the same time that I did were on we did you know um we do the summer festivals rising tide was there a few people went to Stephenville and Grosmoorm was just starting So I, you know, went and did my, uh, my time, my summers I spent in Grosmoor. And then, you know, I I did it the year after I graduated. And then I was like, no, I want to change. I want something different. You know, um, I want, uh, uh, I want opportunities for, for different roles and, and Hey, I'm a musical person. So I'm going to audition for the Stephenville festival. So you know, I, uh, I auditioned and, you know, and it was, you know, they were all happening during this really another terrible winter that we had and, you know, had a bunch of auditions that were really difficult to prepare for and really difficult to get to. And, and, you know, I thought if I, you know, I, I don't know about these other two, but this one, I'm you know, I feel sure I feel, I know this is meant for me. This is my next big step. All I had to do is wait for the phone to ring. (laughs) And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and, you know, and and I didn't get the job. And it's perfectly understandable that I didn't get the job. I hold no malice at all towards um, the people who were casting that festival at the time. I know now, from being on the other side of the table, how completely, you know, Subjective and ephemeral that process can be, and so often it's about how the final group fits together, not about the individual talents that you see because speaking from you know the the times all the times I sit on the opposite side of the table these days and watch auditions at RCA, whether I'm the director or not, it's like person after person after person knocks it out of the park, and it's actually it's dazzling and you, you are exhausted by eight hours of onslaught of this incredible talent. But what it comes down to is how those people fit together in order to unify whatever it is that is the vision of the piece. So of course, being, you know, 22 at the time (laughs) that I didn't get the job, I took it pretty hard and I took it pretty personally. Uh I thought, oh, there must be something wrong with me. And, you know, oh, I'm all of a sudden, you know, your all or nothing thinking t- says, oh, I'm I'm not a talented person. You know, and then the confidence that the the wayward teen tried so, you know, tried so hard to build up, like it, it very quickly erodes, right? And so, and then I felt like it was becoming, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Don't worry, this story has a happy ending. I don't um, <laughs> obviously. I'm sitting here today. I want everyone to think I'm going down a really, really, uh, uh, bad road here because I'm not. But you know, this is the bumpy part. This is the flop. <laughs> so, you know, it, it started to feel like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I felt like all of my 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 friends and my colleagues were being hired and, 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 and working. And I, and I wasn't getting parts, you know, cause then you, I didn't get the job. And then I felt as though, um, you know, the next jobs I wasn't getting any of those as my friends were getting cast and things. And I was facing the prospect of a, um, a summer alone, not in a festival when everybody else was having, you know, their, their, amazing summer festival experiences that we all know are are so formative and, and exciting. And, uh, so uh, thankfully I have, I have lots, I mean, amazing people that I, I work with and, uh, and also amazing people around me that, you know, kind of wouldn't let me wallow. <laughs> so, what started happening was, okay, well, no one's giving us work. We're going to start making work. And at first I didn't realize what was happening because again, like, you know, you're making work, you're making plays, you're making $17 one January. It's like my famous story about making $17 one January. That was my total income for the month. Like, but all of those things drive you towards. All of a sudden, you're an independent producer. So, all of those years being with, uh, with Joan Sullivan in the Open Actor Studio and making plays with her up at Rabbit Town, and you know, and and the plays that we did with Bare Boards, that led to my work with C2C. We all kind of a, a a building process uh to make me a very resilient independent creator so you know those you know on those shows when they're like if you could tell your young self <laughs> anything, what would you tell her? I would tell her I would tell you Nicole this is your strength right now this hurts and it feels so bad but you're actually still on the right road you just have to commit and pick up your walking stick and walk through the woods and I guess that's my flop
0: <laughs> what was the audition piece or pieces that you used for Stevenville?
2: Oh, I had ones that I used all the time. You know, everybody had like classical, contemporary and a song. Mm-hmm. So I always did um the uh the one from Twelfth Night, you know, um Oh no, sorry. Uh, no, I didn't. I th- I wasn't doing that one by that point. I was doing, I left no ring with her for a long time, but I, I yes. held on to the dream one for a long time. How happy some or other some can be that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I have a modern piece, which I think I finally have to put in my back pocket because maybe, although maybe not, but I always do a piece from angels in America. That's always <gasps> my, uh, I, you know, Harper from angels in America is, is a dream role of mine. And so, uh, yeah. Well, Nicole,
1: it's Mark's 40th birthday project. Is it? Well,
0: that's, that's what we're saying. It's Angels in America is my dream project.
2: Oh my God. Really? Yes.
0: Oh God. Yeah. Like in a heartbeat, I would drop everything.
1: We have two years. <laughs> so we have two years to plan it.
0: Well, we, oh we have,
1: God. we have one year and All two right. months. One year and two months. I'm on it. I know we can make we're, this happen. We're working on it. So, uh, noted.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's funny, you
1: you call that uh, your flop, but in many ways, um, I feel like uh, in our community, it's a little bit of a a rite of, of passage. The idea of making your own work, because of course, that's where Mark and I met. And also where I met you, you're a few years ahead of me, but not very many. Um, But in terms of creating work and getting people on board, and certainly that $17, you know, January, February uh, months rings uh, very true. And then it's those friendships that you kind of relied on to build these companies. And then um, I don't know if you had the same experience, but myself and Mark did. uh, Certainly last year, I said, you know, 10 years ago, here we were in the ship complaining that no one would hire us. And here we are, and people are not only hiring us, they're like looking to us to advise them. And what was that shift like for you to go from kind of, because you spend your life as an artist kind of fighting and struggling, and certainly the struggle is always real, that's just the truth. But um, how was that shift from kind
2: of um, scrappy to mentor? I would like to think that I'm a scrappy mentor. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that I bring, you know, that I still have my arm around that 16-year-old rebel uh, and that, you know, I bring her along with me because I think it's okay to question authority and to speak truth to power, even if you are in the power position. And so I always approach any time and like I mean I'm really just coming into that kind of thing where people are are, are looking to me for in that role but I'm always amazed at the exchange of that like if if Andy Jones taught me one thing actually it's you know he taught me lots of things but it's it's a lot about making sure you're learning too because you know mentorship is ultimately an exchange I'm always thrilled to hear uh new ideas and emergent ideas and thrilled when I can have the kind of relationship with somebody that I can offer you know well here's what the status quo says about that you know are we picking up hammers here are we breaking the windows or are we you know or is this something that you know we could live with for another decade which is kind of is not necessarily the easiest um philosophy to or ethos to kind of balance with the work that I do but I do do my best to do that way but I had many of those conversations in the ship and then people always telling you oh you know just wait a few years you'll get all the good roles when you know you're 30 35 40
0: wow. <laughs> I was working in Trinity one summer uh and uh you know uh and Ed, Kylie, and John Ryan's cabin, after like a show or after like a night at Rockies, people would go back there and chill out. Uh, And I remember John Ryan saying to me, uh, I was maybe 24, 25, and John Ryan looked at me and said, young fella, you're going to be a great actor when you're 30. I'm like, thanks. Can't wait to go on stage with you tomorrow.
2: (laughs) Right.
1: wasn't it, isn't it true though? I mean, it, it hurts of course, um, in those, but yeah, you haven't lived enough life to be an actor at 20 and that, that's the
2: truth. Oh,
0: exactly, exactly.
2: Yeah, despite what, despite what, you know, what you think at the time, hey, because I was like, oh, I'm ready, I know, I know.
1: (laughs) Of course, um, it's so funny, uh, before I had no idea what your flop story was, but my, um, second question for you today really fits uh, what makes a great audition.
2: I want to see you because I'm interested in you. So please bring the confidence of my interest into the room. I don't I'm not looking for you to try and insert yourself into any mold except for the one that you're you're bringing in. Bring interpret the role in the way that fits your style, because that's what I want to see. And how could you ever manage to keep it up anyway? You know, if you're you're working so hard to bring something that's not you into the room, I mean, are you gonna be able to hold on to that two weeks into the rehearsal process, four weeks into the run? I, I, you know, and, and who does that serve? It doesn't serve the production and it doesn't serve the the performer either. You know, I mean, I think we all get into this racket and we do these shows together and we all want to have, you know, an enriching and, and growing experience. So, you know, bringing our ultimate selves and making that team, I think is, you know, is a really important thing. Speaking from my own You know, interest as a director. So yes, definitely bring that into the room, and don't be afraid to try stuff. A lot of the times, when you know directors are asking you to try something, even if it does go against the script, they most likely know that, right? (laughs) You know, it's it's a lot of the times a matter of us wanting to see if we can have an exchange of ideas, if we can collaborate, if we can take a little risk together, you know, in terms of trying things and throwing them against the wall and, and and seeing if they work. So, I mean, I think those are, those are the two things. It's like confidence and energy and, and, you know, and, and an understanding that I really, every person who wants, who walks in the door, like, I want you to be the person. And I, I can't think about, I can't think of another director I know who doesn't feel that way. It's like, we want you, we are investing you. We are endowing you with the, with that confidence and, and, uh, and interest. So take it on and, and give her. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I will say um, that was a very light bulb uh, moment for me when I was working with you. Uh, so I got to do Midsummer with you and uh, Midsummer Extreme, and I got to be uh, Titania, kind of obviously, if you know me. Um, and I was standing very still because I had been given the advice that you know because I was a dancer maybe I should not and I should just really try and be an actor so here I am I, I and it was not Nicole's advice it was someone else's advice and here I am standing like a pillar and Nicole's like what what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm I'm not moving because I'm an actor now. And Nicole, and Nicole, it was so beautiful. You were like, but I, I cast you though. It's it's very like Meissner technique. Like I know you are Titania already. Everything in you is in her already. And now just make it happen and show me. To show me what that is in you, because you're already connected to her. Don't try and be her. Don't stand there as the statue of her. That actually is ridiculous. You didn't say it like that. It was very generous. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was certainly a light bulb moment for me. So uh, you know, dear listeners, I can say that the practice and the preaching are connecting. Uh, oh, cool. <laughs> like uh, no, I had that. I had that exact experience. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, of course. How silly. How foolish of
2: me. But it, you know, you don't know. Until you know. It is really interesting in that-
0: because oh, you go, Nicole.
2: I was going to say, and then you turn, and not only were you like a magnificent Titania, but then you turn in that gorgeous performance of Julius Caesar with the red gloves. <laughs>
1: It I just
2: I just
1: uh actually because I was looking through my emails with you I was looking at your past bios that we had sent back and forth um for research today and I found a, a bunch of pictures taken by Chris Hibbs of the Caesar that we did together um and I think in a previous interview I had said that I was upset to be cast as Casca because I wanted to be Cassius of course um and uh it was uh the most fulfilling role that i've ever played and i still oh, use cool. that monologue um about the storm is still my audition piece
2: cool and so what about that role fulfilled you i know i'm not the interviewer but you know no, <laughs> no, no. This, this is free
0: for all
1: no we're just having a chat and i think it was actually now that i'm remembering in our conversation with sharon king campbell so if anyone wants to go back and listen uh to that um we were talking about Shakespeare's and because she said she want her dream role was Othello which uh, out of her dream project, out of anything she wanted to do, she'd love uh, to play Iago in Othello. Sorry, she'd love Mm -hmm. to do Othello. She'd love to play Iago. And uh, we were just talking about Shakespeare's For Our Time. Um, And uh, she had kind of said that Lear would be her pick for now these COVID times, kind of what we could pull from that. And I said that my pick really would be Caesar um, just because of all the political, t- uh, you know, tumultuousness, um, and, uh, I said, you know, particularly in that the storm scene is so powerful, um, and that monologue just really opened me to the idea of rhetoric, um, and also for me as an actor, um, I had often relied on my body, which is, uh, statuesque and I move a lot, of course, and my dance and this character, it was a gender blind casting and it was also gender neutral casting. Uh, so no hair, no makeup, um, everyone was very neutral, um, and, uh, that kind of took away a lot of my power and femininity, uh, which was a challenge for me because I do love uh, the Marilyn Monroe aspect. Like in these COVID times, I've gotten rid of my blonde hair, which I feel does get rid of a little bit of my power. I love dressing up. I love having bleach blonde hair. I love being larger than life. Um, but there, w- there was a, a power in just uh, delivering from the neutral.
2: So that's why I loved it. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Thanks for that. That's awesome. That's like, you know, I, I, I really have, I have, I have, you know, beautiful memories of that production as well. That one and dream those summers in the park, you know, and the summers on the hill were fantastic as well. But those summers in the park, some magic in those, I don't know.
1: I also Uh, think I also think you had managed to build a company so it wasn't that it was a group of individuals um, that were coming together for a a few weeks part-time on their spare time it was a group of people that had developed within the company and also had grown with you in various ways so by the time we got to I think midsummer was a little bit of a testing ground in a new uh, but by the time we got to Caesar, uh everybody uh kind of knew each other very well and there was a core group of people that had worked together and really that dynamic had solidified um and so we were able to work with you in a shorthand um and uh we were able to work with one another um with a lot more trust than you can uh, build in an amateur season uh because of course everyone's working in their in their spare time and of course, we're talking about uh Shakespeare by the Sea um and if anyone wants to learn more about that just go back and listen <laughs> to our interview with Jen Dion you get all that. awesome <laughs> All the tea and all the origin on that. Oh my gosh! Um, what excites you about a project? What What makes you sit
2: up and take interest? I have to feel some sort of um, uh, some sort of uh, like visceral emotional connection in order for me to be artistically involved. I mean, it's like speaking from the the point of view of a director or performer. Um, I've always been. Drawn towards uh, pieces that you know uh, are are edgy like in even the even the tyA that I direct is on the side of edgy and uh, I think that theater is a really important forum for provocative conversations and uh, I feel like that's where my, you know, I I don't want to say comfort zone because it's not comfortable at all (laughs) when you're, when you're engaging in that kind of, of, um, of work, but you know, there is a, you know, there is, there is a safety in, in risk when you talk about, you know, like when it, when it is, when it's, dealt with respectfully and dealt with you know in a way that never of course puts anyone in in danger it's all about advancing a conversation and sometimes conversations are hard to have and so you know i feel like i am the kind of artist that can help to you know conduct and 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 bridge those kind of conversations and ultimately You know, that's what attracts me to work. And when I'm watching it, too, you know, I I really like to come out of the theater with a, okay, all right, so I guess we're talking about this. And how do you feel about this, theater companion? I thought this. And then, you know, if if your person that you went with is like, oh, really? Because I thought this. And then there you go, where we're having important dialogue and we're not, you know, we're not trying to bottle up emotions we're kind of dealing with them in a in a community forum and you know and processing things together that's what draws me to a piece of work no matter how i work on it
0: it was funny after uh uh mice and men right after men of
2: misfortune men of
0: misfortune mice and man uh after (laughs) men of misfortune um when like I saw it one night with a friend and then other friends saw it another night and it kind of you know not everyone goes on the same night Uh, and like sure enough we would all be sitting around days afterwards and talking about it and kind of you know expressing what what we got from it and you know there were there were heated arguments not you know like intense but there were there were heated discussions about uh, you know, things that happened in the show. It would, and I have to say, that's what I love as an audience member, is seeing a piece that's going to make me think, that's, that's going to affect me. Um, you know, I've, I've seen so many shows at the Hall that I left and just completely speechless because it hit me so hard.
2: Yeah. And not in a gratuitous way, right? Like it was totally just, it's about like, it's about thinking about things. And through that whole, I mean, speaking of just, you know, men of misfortune, uh, I mean, there was quite a discussion in that room too, about, you know, that that play really breaks the mold of a well-made play in that there is no redemption. Mm. I mean, you know, I think that that's like, it's too late. (laughs) Like sometimes in your humanity, the choices you make lead you to a place where it is too late. And, you know, and what does that mean? Anyway, we can have a separate conversation about that if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so good. Um, tell us, what is your dream project, Nicole? I really, really, really want to work on some Brecht musicals. You know yeah i was like oh are you guys doing those too (laughs) and noted (laughs) noted and you're like yes i'm like "Brecht musicals
1: (laughs) noted on the list i will uh tell you and if whether this makes it in or not who's to say um i was approached by an independent producer to do Brecht musicals when i was like 18 19 i was the the house band at Bianca's bar um, and that situation was scary and I wrote ended up writing in sketchy and I ended up writing a song about it um, uh, but yeah he was like was very interested in independently producing some Brett musicals um, and I just think the interest was a little bit more in inter- you know like uh, producing me but that's uh that's like <laughs> another kind of story but yeah I got like picked up at the bar and being like oh we need to do Brett.
2: Oh dear! Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. What a Love. line!
2: Uh, what a line! Yeah,
1: we need to do some break together anyway. Oh my god, that's fantastic! This won't make it in, but uh, yeah, it was something. It was it was, <laughs> it was it was something else. uh thank you so much, Nicole. That was awesome.
2: I'm so glad that uh, I'm so glad that you asked me. I just want to add, like that. I think that that Brecht is talk about a voice for our time. And you know, it's it's a dream for me because you know, in the role that I have right now is it, it, it's all development of new work, which is totally awesome. I you know, I love it and 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 live it and enjoy it every day, but uh, I would love to have a chance and hope I do get a chance sometime soon to visit those uh those pieces of theater which I think have a lot of relevant context too. Where we are well,
0: right now yes uh just as i guess like one final question before we sign off um y- in your role with rcat you are involved with the development of new work uh promoting new voices encouraging new work and the growth of the industry here in the province um what i guess are the benefits you just touched on it a little bit what are the benefits of revisiting the old classics or revisiting um, specifically? um like classic newfoundland pieces as opposed to new newfoundland pieces
2: well i think that you know newfoundlanders haven't had you know we we've really only had truly since the 70s to contextualize ourselves so you know with that cultural renaissance and the idea of of lifting up our own voices as important voices and like and that's a real central ethos to what i do too is that i think that our voice is an important voice and deserves to be platformed from all perspectives and so in that you know i think that we've had a relatively short timeline in which to tell our stories and certainly if we don't tell them and celebrate them from you know from the oldest classics to the great plays about the moratorium and now the fort mac plays that we're starting to see and 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 the pondering of you know of the of the changing generations it's actually not that long of a time span and and so i think it's really important for all of us you know essentially to know you know, where we come from, as well as, as where we're going, and that, aren't we lucky that we have all of these different professional companies in this province that are dedicated to all the different facets of work? Because when you put them all together, I mean, what a magnificent puzzle.
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> Why isn't anyone we... hiring us? Hey, yeah, hey yeah. like, uh, can we do a play? Hi, uh, can we do a
0: play? Uh... I got lettuce in a bowl, and it's still got the little stubby stem on it, and when I cut all of the pieces off it, then I'm gonna put it in some soil, put it in some soil, cause the internet told me I can. Oh, and this is, like, still recording? This is still recording.